Well, I have to uh, start by saying I do recognize that this may not be a word, uh, but I mean, we're trying to keep with the theme of B.A., you know, when it comes to loving the church, and so being a cherisher is what I came up with, so I do realize that may, that may or may not be, well, in my language it is, so let's just go with that. Uh, remember last week, your homework was to set a reminder on your phone, write it down somewhere, so that every day at 4.24 p.m., you're going to pray for the church. Pray for Oldham Lane, pray for the church universally, pray. Now, the reason why we said uh, Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 4, is the reason why we're praying at 4.24. That prayer, I want it to be our prayer, that we're praying for the church, we're praying for an open door of opportunity, we're praying that this is a church that makes a difference in the lives of others. You ever felt like a tourist? You ever been a tourist, maybe went to another country where you had your passport stamped and, and, and you tried the local fair, you, you had to speak the language to some extent, maybe you toured a museum and you went to see some, some major famous landmarks. There are many people that feel that way when they come into church. They feel like a tourist. And I want the Oldham Lane Church of Christ to be tourist friendly. I want the tourists that come our way to know that we want to help them get kind of a lay of the land, to speak the language, to maybe hopefully be a part of this family someday, that they would plant roots here, be a citizen of the kingdom, and be a part of this church family. That is my hope and prayer. I hope it's yours as well. But my goal is not to just be a tourist-friendly church. The goal is to make and grow disciples, right? So the goal is to take those folks that, that may become our way, that don't really understand the lay of the land, and help them to become an integral part of what we're trying to do here. And so how do we do that? You know, we talk about making and growing disciples, but what does that look like? Well, it starts with us, obviously. It starts with us spreading the gospel, all those kind of things that we talk about over and over again. But it also starts with them seeing us cherish what we have so that they hopefully want it as well. And one of the ways that we can be a cherisher is remembering where we came from. That is key in not taking for granted what we have. So look with me at Ephesians chapter 2. You know I'm a big fan of reading bigger chunks of scripture to get the entire context. We're going to read a pretty big chunk here. So look with me at Ephesians chapter 2. And that first line says it all. And we need to remember this when we remember where we came from. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You weren't sick. You weren't ailing. You were dead. In which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But, remember we talked about how those little words have a major meaning, and but is one of them. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, 
By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace." who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. That's it. You want to remember where you came from? There's a lot of places in Scripture you can look at it, but this is a manifesto, right, of who we once were and who we are now. This is a description of who we were before Christ and who we are now. You were dead, you're alive, and that should change you. That should be monumental. You were dead. You were plucked from the fires of hell. But baptism is not a fire insurance. You know that? We've talked about that. This is about more than just a get-out-of-hell-free card. This is about what it means to be a saved child of God. It's about what it means to be a disciple who was once dead, outside of the kingdom, with no hope whatsoever. And now you have all the hope in the world. You were an outsider. Paul says you were once far off, but now you've been brought near. You were hopeless, you were helpless, you had no family. You think about that. You were an orphan, nobody wanted you. And now you're a part of the kingdom. You have hope. You have help. What are you going to do with this precious gift? How much does it mean to you? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27, Paul writes, Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. God has given us a tremendous gift. Salvation, yes. But he's given us another tremendous gift when he placed us in a family. So there's forgiveness of sins. There is victory over sin and death. There is adoption by God the Father. And he gives us a family. That is the gift that we need to be cherishing always. But I'm afraid that we don't always see it as a gift. There's two ways that we often view the church. One, we look at it as an obligation. Oftentimes, it's a chore. It's, it's a routine. It's a ritual. I've got to be there. I mean, Bible says so, so I show up on Sunday, 
And a lot of times it may be an interruption. It's an inconvenience. I have so many other things that I would like to do. So it's like going to the dentist. I know I need to go or my teeth are going to fall out, but I don't really want to be there. The honest question that needs to be asked is why? Why is the church so often viewed as an obligation? Is it because it's boring? Maybe. We might need to come to grips with that. Maybe. Is it because the service is dead and needs to have new life breathed into it? Maybe. We might need to investigate that as well. Is it because it has become so routine that we simply take it for granted? Yeah, I mean, I believe so. Or could the answer lie somewhere underneath the superficial reasons? Could it be that we don't treasure the church because our hearts are out of rhythm? You know, PVCs are is when, you're, when you have an arrhythmia. I think it's called premature ventricular contractions. When you have these PVCs, your heart skips a beat. And sometimes people who suffer with these say that, that they can actually feel it. I was talking to a good friend of mine the other night. He was talking about the pacemaker that he just recently had inserted. And he said that the doctor told him that before the thing goes off, that you'll get like a series of little beeps, and then you better be ready. Because it's going to be like the worst thing you've ever experienced. However, it will also beep in the same cadence when the batteries are dead, or about to go dead. You just don't know which one. So he's driving in his car, he pulls into wherever he is about to get out of the car, wherever his destination was, about to get out of the car and the thing starts beeping. And you know what he does? Grabs the steering wheel and grits his teeth because he knows it's coming. Well, turns out the batteries were about to go dead, but you don't know. And so you're preparing for that, you're getting ready for it. But the doctor said, as painful as it would be, you gotta have this. Because the result is going to keep you from dying. It's going to shock your heart back into place. I think so many times the reason we don't cherish the church, the reason maybe we take our salvation for granted is because our heart is beating out of rhythm. It's skipping a beat, and the beat that it's skipping is the rhythm of family life, church, being together. We treat it as a chore or an obligation rather than a cherished gift, and we don't realize that there is a pacemaker which is Jesus Christ, who gets our heart back into rhythm. Maybe our heart is beating for other things. Maybe it's out of rhythm and skips a beat because, you know, we, we haven't put the emphasis on what we should be putting it on. So there's a spiritual arrhythmia, and the heart is beating abnormally because it's out of rhythm for what matters most. Your heart is going to beat for what you treasure. We've said that over and over again. Your heart is mobile. It's movable. It's going to go wherever your treasure is. Your heart's going to follow your treasure. So what you treasure is where your heart's going to go. Jesus talked about this on numerous occasions. He knew all too well the threat of spiritual heart disease. Christ is also our spiritual pacemaker. He's the only one that can get our heart back in rhythm. In John chapter 21, we see that Jesus got Peter's heart back in rhythm after Peter's denial of him. Jesus attempted to get the rich young ruler's heart beating in the right direction, but he refused the help. Jesus helped a Samaritan woman with her heart problem. He gave the right prescription to Nicodemus. He corrected Zacchaeus' arrhythmia. The prodigal son had his heart shocked back into rhythm. We see it over and over again of individuals who benefited from the blood of Christ, yet were on the verge of a massive heart attack, and there was Jesus to get their heart beating again. Here's what he had to say. 
Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus puts our heart back into rhythm. He reminds us to treasure right things. I mean, in essence, Jesus says, you know what, it's really dumb to invest in things that you can't take with you. I mean, ultimately, you've never seen a hearse with a luggage rack, and so it's silly to invest in the things that don't go with you when you die. The best investment is investing in spiritual things and having your heart beating healthy and properly for right things. But I think another reason why church is often not valued or treasured as it should be is because of comfortability, or to put it another way, simply apathy. You know, maybe we've come to church for a very long time, we've got complacent, and that's easy to do. I think we've all probably battled that at some point. We know about apathy perhaps because of other things that, you know, we take for granted or perhaps don't place the emphasis on like we should. But so many times there's no excitement, there's no real anticipation. Maybe we come, we sing, we take communion, we fight to stay awake. Church has grown cold and stale and our heart has grown weary. We still love God. We still know that we need to be at church. We believe in the importance of it, but something's been lost and we can't really get it back because we can't really put our finger on it, but it's, it has to do with lethargy and complacency and apathy. We're just kind of lukewarm. And folks, I can tell you this, no amount of preaching is probably going to fix that problem. Nothing I could say would ever probably fix that. That's something you've got to figure out on your own, but it is something that keeps me awake at night. I think about that. I think about how so often we take church for granted, we take our salvation for granted, and I can give a sermon on apathy, and, and many people are going to walk out of the auditorium and never do anything about it, never going to fix anything, just go on about their lives, being complacent and apathetic, and that's sad, but that's something that you're going to have to fix. I can't fix. The elders can't fix. You know, Tim talked about it in his class this morning when he got his new truck, would you wash the thing all the time? Yeah, once a week, washed it once a week. I was kind of that way with my, uh, it's still kind of that way, but, but now that you've had it for some time, you hadn't washed it in how long, you know, about four months, yeah. Newness fades over time, right? And it's hard to keep that, that initial excitement going. But when you go back and remember where you came from and constantly remind yourself that you were dead, now you are alive. You read that anytime you feel like, maybe you need to set a reminder for this too, but anytime you feel like you're, you're being apathetic or maybe you're, you're tempted to take things for granted, maybe you feel like your heart is beating out of rhythm, go back and read what we just read a while ago in Ephesians 2. Go back and read that and understand where you came from. In Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, the Lord sent a message to the church in Smyrna. And I believe this message has major implications for us. Notice what it says, starting in verse Let's start in verse 9, not verse 8. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich and the blasphemy by those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. You know, it's as if our Lord is saying, hang on, it's about to get really bad. And what do you think these folks were going to do after hearing a message like this? I would think you'd be drawing as close to God as ever, right? 
Why did church attendance increase after the Great Depression or during the Great Depression? Why did church attendance increase after 9-11? Well, because those are things that come into clear perspective when there's been a tragedy or crisis, right? Spiritual things get elevated to top of the list or they get put in the forefront because of what's going on around us. We get, you know, scared. We understand that Life is fleeting, right? That life is a vapor, and so therefore, we need to put more emphasis on it, perhaps. But it shouldn't take a crisis for us to cherish the church or the gift of salvation or our relationship with God. I mean, that should be something we're pursuing constantly, right? I think all too often, apathy poses the biggest threat to the church. You think so? I think more than persecution, more than heresy, more than false doctrine, I think apathy is probably the biggest threat to the Lord's church. Because complacency, lethargy, I think the devil is just sitting back and loving that we don't take this gift as seriously as we should. I think that at the end of the day, as long as we view the church as an obligation or a chore, as long as we don't take it seriously, as long as we're apathetic and comfortable, Satan revels in victory as Christians devalue this gift. So, here's two very simple things we can do. Two very simple things. And I realize the irony of this, this first one. Be here. You're here. Great. But that's the first thing I would say. Be here. Attend worship. Worship with the saints. You need it. Your fellow brothers and sisters need it. Some question whether it's necessary to be at every service. And you know how I don't like the question, will this send me to hell? I don't like that question. That's an obligatory view, isn't it? Will this send me to hell? Do I have to be here? Well, will I go to hell if I'm not here at every service? If I'm not here on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights? That's the wrong question. The better question is always, will this glorify God? What glorifies God? What glorifies God? So that's the better question, right? So what glorifies God? What's my obligation? No, don't ask that question. Instead, ask the question, how does my being here help me and the church? God has given me this gift of eternal life through his only begotten son. He has added me to his church. I should be bouncing in here, ready to celebrate, but all too often what happens is we're, we're brought to church by our parents, then we're brought to church by our spouse, then when we die we're brought to church by our friends. How about you make the decision to come to church on your own? How about that? How about you decide, I'm going to be present and I'm going to be here, and that's going to be my decision. I'm not coming because, you know, my parents drug me to church. I'm not coming because I want to keep peace in the household, and I'm certainly not going to wait to come when somebody drags me in here in a casket. I'm going to come because I want to be here, because I want to encourage others. I want to, I want to lift others up, and I want to worship the God who raised me from the dead and who will raise me from the dead on the last day. Secondly, this. First, be here. Secondly, invest. You know, the human body can function without eyes. It can exist without ears, without legs, without a kidney. But it doesn't function as well. And the church is the same way. It needs every body part working in harmony in order to function properly. 
It can function without you, but it doesn't function as well. So make certain that you are understanding your role and carrying out that role effectively. Don't just show up. Don't just be here. Invest. Invest in the Lord's church. Show God how grateful you are for this precious gift that you have been given by engaging and singing and praying and listening. Give Him your undivided attention. Give Him your time and attention to the work of the church. Get involved. Do something. Join a small group. Be involved in at least one ministry. Don't be a Lone Ranger Christian. Infuse yourself in the inner workings of the Lord's church. Invest. You know, God has blessed us with with so many other gifts as well, not just the gift of salvation. He's given every one of us at least one gift because... There's no such thing as a zero-talent individual. And so we use the gift or gifts he has given us as we invest in this body. We utilize our talents and our abilities. We don't keep those things to ourselves. And and we use them in other areas of life as well. Don't use them in other places, yet refuse to use them in the church. Be a functioning part of the body. I love this church. And, And I assume that you do as well. You're here. And, and you're a part. And you know, folks, we have a whole lot of people coming our way. A lot of people coming through our doors. Some have watched the television program and they're interested. You know, while COVID took a huge toll on our church family and many church families, many families, there was also a benefit. There was a great benefit during COVID because so many people, as they sheltered at home, watched our television program and it encouraged them to come and some have placed their membership with us but many others are coming in every week I don't know if you've noticed that but many are coming in every week wanting to see what we're about other people are coming to find a soft place to land and some are just curious some are tourists but you know if Jesus were to walk into this church the first thing he wouldn't do he, the first thing he would do is he wouldn't go down to the library and open up the attendance book and find out how many people we have on Sunday that's not the first thing he would do The question wouldn't be asked so how big's your church how many people do you have on Sunday Now I think the question Jesus would be asking is what about the collective heart of this congregation What's it beating for What, what what's the What's the mindset of this congregation? What is it you're trying to accomplish? What is it that you're about? Are you a church after God's own heart? Because that's the key, right? Being a church after God's own heart. And so I, I wanted to, to use this series as a way to prop up the church and talk about loving the church. And I feel like, you know, I've kind of defaulted to some negative things. But ultimately, what's right with the church and what's wrong with the church is the people. We've got great people here. We want to keep going in a good direction. Let's be about what our Father would be about, making and growing disciples, being a tourist-friendly congregation, and trying to get those folks that are coming through to be a part of something great. And that starts with us. And it starts with us cherishing the gift that we've been blessed with. There's a story about an auto body shop, a shoe store, and a church all on the same street in a small town. And all three of these places had a problem with possums. Possums had infiltrated these places and they were overrunning the place. And so the auto body shop decided that they were going to get a bunch of cats. 
So they turned a bunch of cats loose at the auto body shop and they ran off the possums. Unfortunately, the cats were as big a problem as the possums were, so that didn't really work. The owner of the shoe store decided a different strategy. He decided to, to, uh, to trap the possums, and then once he trapped them, he took them way out of town and dropped them off. But a few days later, they all came back, so that didn't work. The church decided to try a different strategy. The church rounded up all the possums and baptized them, and they haven't seen them since. So often that happens, right? And we've talked about that before. We baptize somebody, they walk out the door, never to be seen again. Because while they were baptized, they never really picked up a cross. And that's what we're trying to do, is help people understand that it's about discipleship. And that walk begins with faith, which moves us to repentance and confessing and and baptism for the remission of sins. But it doesn't end there. That's the beginning of taking up our cross and following daily Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we are so blessed to be a part of such a great family. And we pray, Lord, that we seek to make your name great, that we glorify you in everything that we do, that we make and grow disciples, and that we are a church family that is all about your business. Thank you, God, for loving us, for blessing us. May we go out and bless others. It's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you for being here. I hope you feel like it's been good for you to be here this day. And remember, there's a time to gather and a time to scatter. As we scatter from here, let's go make a difference in the world around us. Let's also prepare for next week, coming back to worship. I'll be back Sunday. I'm going to the Holy Land this week for Thanksgiving. Going to Arkansas. You know that joke by now. Going to Arkansas. I hope you have a happy Thanksgiving. David's going to lead us in a song. If we can help you tonight in any way, why don't you come as we stand and as we sing.